You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to start in Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, and uh, kicking off a new series, and uh, this this is been on my heart for a couple weeks leading up to today as I've been praying into the new year. And I don't always do this, but uh, kind of as a matter of just a, a purposeful intention, there isn't something, uh, I think it's important to recognize, you know, there's not something uh, necessarily intrinsic of itself that in the new year, everything changes, everything's new. Uh, I think they say that 92% of New Year's resolutions don't work out. I hate to disappoint you if you're starting that today, and, and uh, it, it's, but I, you know, I, I myself, I don't have necessarily New Year's resolutions, but I do have new things that I'm starting in this new year, and of course, uh, at, the, at the heart of that is where uh, my faith is, and, and where my relationship with God is, and uh, what I want to really invest in and pour into and, and see grow, and I like to look at this year and say, you know, by this time next year, I want to be further along in my faith, and how I love people, and how I'm serving God, and uh, what I'm able to do to impact the world for the kingdom. I, I, I want to see that increase. I just believe that there's something about uh, more. There's something about pursuing God that, that moves us out of a place of what I want to describe today, and that's a place of spiritual stagnation. I think a lot of people, regardless of the year, the season, the time, uh, the busyness, their activities, whatever they've got planned or not planned, that there's a problem, and it's the problem of stagnation. Relationships tend towards and gravitate towards or drift towards stagnation. Uh, our faith, if it's not invested in and developed and uh, add fuel to the fire, it becomes stagnant. And, and there's lots of areas in life that's true, that, that if we don't fuel it, if we don't engage in it, if we're not purposeful or intentional about it, uh, we become stagnant. I just don't believe God's called us to stagnation. I just don't believe that. So our, our, our series is called Unpause, How to Break Stagnation. We're going to hit a few things throughout the series. I'm really excited about it because I believe you're going to see uh, some of the biggest advances, biggest breakthrough. What does stagnation mean? It, it's a lack of uh, advancement. It's, it's the feeling of being stuck, but it's, it's a lack of movement. It's a lack of flow, talking about a, a river's flow or a movement uh, that, that there's a, things have settled, they've come to a, a, a particular place, and maybe that was a place that you once looked at and said, hey, that's where I'm going to, that's what I want to advance to, but then you arrived and you stopped growing. You stop learning, you stop pressing in, you start, stop allowing God to stretch your faith, you stop investing in the relationships around you. Uh, you know, we're, one of the things I'm, I'm personally uh, making a point of in my family is that we're going to really engage uh, on a personal level with, you know, I've got my three kids, my wife, that we, we have date nights and we have time one-on-one with, with our kids and, and we do that, that much more intentionally because life only gets busier, as you know, but I, I, I want us to, to not have any areas of our life becomes stagnant. It's true in my relationships with Jesus, we don't want to be spiritually stagnant. In fact, I think that uh, everything on some level is spiritual. So spiritual isn't just what we do on Sunday. It's not just the songs we sing, the messages we hear. Uh, it's not just our Bible reading time. That's the foundation. But everything in life, our relationships, God wants to have an impact. Our, our jobs, our businesses, God wants to have an impact in this year. In our personal lives, God wants to have an impact. And so if we're stagnating spiritually, then we'll become stagnant in every other area. 
So Mark chapter six, uh, verse one, it says that Jesus went out from there and came to his own country. This is the place where Nazareth is located. It's where Jesus spent his adolescence into adulthood before he was revealed to the nation of Israel as Messiah. It says he went out from there, he came to his own country, to Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. Can I just say something? Jesus had a crowd often around him, but not everybody in the crowd became a disciple. Not everybody in the crowd became a disciple. Some people were content to have their selfie with Jesus. Some people were content to just get around him and experience even the benefit and the blessings. And I believe that, you know, one of the things I love about Jesus is he's good even when we, we don't respond in a way that God always desires for us to, and that's relationship with him, that, that he's, he reigns on the just and the unjust. God blesses people that are far from him too he, because he's drawing. The Bible says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. It's his goodness that draws us to the cross to know him, to experience his love. And, and, but the there's something different about going from being a part of the crowd to being a disciple. I think what marks a disciple, and I've been in church, I've been a pastor for 18 years in some area of ministry, and in that time, there's been a thousand and one definitions of what it means to be a disciple. But I think the simplest and most effective definition is what we see right here. They followed Jesus. It's not just that they completed a certain class and now I'm a disciple because I went to the discipleship class or, or I have a certain certificate that says now I'm a disciple or, or I read a certain book uh, or I got certain information and I agree with certain statements of faith, but a disciple at its foundation is following Jesus. And it's true that if I'm following Jesus, I become a disciple. If I'm not following Jesus, I'm not a disciple. And Jesus actually called us to make disciples. He called us to be disciples. That means that we follow, we learn, we study, we grow, and more importantly, we walk with and follow Jesus. You can actually do a bunch of stuff for God and not be following. I've had seasons of my own life where I became stagnant and I realized it was because I came into a place of a lot of activity but less following that I was, I was checking all the religious boxes, I was singing all the songs, I was showing up to all the right places, and I was doing all the things I was supposed to do, but in my heart there was a disconnect, and I wasn't daily following as close as I once had. And I want, at the end of my life, to be more in love with Jesus than I am right now. At the end of my life, I'm going to love people more than I do right now. Have you ever noticed that people sometimes get more cynical the older they get? They, they get more, more curmudgeon-y. They get more uh, difficult to be around. And uh, I, I don't want you to think about anybody you spend time with around Christmas. But there's just something about the longer life happens and hurt and pain and unhealed things and unresolved bitterness and all that stuff, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll actually get, we'll, we'll get crusty. We'll, we'll get stagnant. And Jesus comes with his disciples to this place called Nazareth. And verse 5 tells us what happens in Nazareth. Uh, it says he could do no mighty work there. Verse 5. Jesus could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. This, this verse probably of any of the Bible astounds me as, as much as any other, that, that there was a place and there was a season and there was a time, and it happened to be the hometown where Jesus spent most of his, uh, his earthly life at that stage. So these are the people best positioned to know Jesus, 
best position to experience the miracles. He would go and open blind eyes. He would raise the dead. He would cleanse the leper. He'd do all these amazing things. And yet his hometown was the one place where it says he could do no mighty works. There was stagnation. I don't know what it was. I think there was a sense of familiarity. They were, they were so used to church. They were so used to religion. They were so used to the activity and they were so used to the stuff that there no longer was an engagement in faith. In fact, rather than believe, rather than trust, they became critical of Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, and they, they, they tried to reduce Jesus down to something they could control and understand. And the problem was they put a lid on their experience. I don't want us going into 2023 as River City Church to ever put a lid on what God can do in our life. I don't want us to get to a place where we go, we've arrived. <laughs> we can settle. Do you know there's a biblical principle of contentment? Paul said, no matter what season I'm in, I'm content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He says that in Philippians 4. And the context is in a sense of, you know, when I'm, when I'm in plenty, I, God's supplying. When I'm in need, God's still my source. And when I'm weak, he's still my strength. And, and, and the context is God is good and God is faithful in every season. And I can be content no matter my situation. We have a culture of discontentment, and that's ungodly. That's unbiblical. Contentment is biblical, but stagnation isn't. What's the difference? Contentment is recognizing that no matter what my situation, that God is still faithful and I can trust him. I don't need to compare myself with anybody else. I don't need to get jealous or envious. I don't need to get impatient, but I can have character in quiet seasons. I can, I can, I can be built in seasons where I don't understand and I don't see forward movement. It, that's contentment. It's so I can worship no matter what things are going on that I can trust no matter the season. I can believe, I can, I can pray, that's contentment. But here's what stagnation does. Stagnation says, I'm settling here. Stagnation says, this is all there'll ever be. Stagnation says that I've arrived or, or I already know all there is to know. I've said this before, but I think when we become experts in anything, we stop growing. But students, disciples are always growing. They're always learning. No matter how much of the Bible I've read, studied, preached, and prayed about, I still have so much more to know, to engage with, to grow in. And, and I just think this is important even in our walk with God. I don't think we're going to fully explore all the depths there is to know about who our God is this side of eternity. It's going to take, in fact, it's going to take all of eternity to see every facet of just what we sing about, that he is good. The angels sing that. They declare that. And, and, and it's not just on repeat because they don't remember the next thing to say. It's on repeat because they can't stop declaring who he is. And every time they remember or see a new facet of his goodness, they cry out in worship. In God's kingdom, anything you can live without, many times you will. And, and we're going to look at that, especially next week, because I believe there's got to be a passionate pursuit on the inside that says, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to stay stagnant. I'm not going to stay, uh, I'm not going to stay in this place of, of, limit, of, of not growing. I'm not going to stay still. I'm going to advance in God's purpose and plan for my life. I want everything that Jesus paid the price for me to have. 
I want everything that, that God had promised over my life for. I want everything that he's prepared before, uh, that God has for all of us. And in God's kingdom, I don't want to say, well, I can live without more of that. Do you know what's actually true? That lots of people have a, they, they have a certain level of capacity where they say, well, this is how much I'm willing to grow and no further. Well, well I only want enough of the Holy Spirit to not get weird. Okay, um, I, I, I only want to, and, and we, we set markers and benchmarks that actually don't, they, they, they don't protect, they actually limit, and they keep us from growing. We pray very uh, humble-sounding prayers. I, I've seen this over the years, that people say, well, I can't pray with confidence like that. Well, well God, maybe if it's possibly, could it, could it maybe be your will? I don't know, but maybe possibly, if you're in a good mood. If all the stars align and the choirs of heaven are singing, if, if maybe you could drop something at a, you know. Our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above, in 21 days of prayer, all that we can ask or think. I don't know about you, but I can, I can ask for a lot. I can think of a lot. I, I can pray for a lot of people to be impacted by Jesus. How about you? I, I, I can believe for revival in my family. I believe, so, so we can pray for some stuff, and no matter what we can pray for, he says, I can do better. Yes. Well, I, I could never pray like that. That just, <laughs> you just found your lid. You just found the thing that's limiting your faith to grow. And Nazareth, an entire town that was around the person and presence of Jesus, unfortunately missed it because they settled. They settled with the carpenter's son and didn't see he was the son of the living God. Verse 6, he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And he called the twelve to himself. And he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them power over unclean spirits. So we're going to jump ahead in a moment to a story that may be familiar with you, but here's, here's what I want you to catch. Jesus does something with his disciples. They follow him, they walk with him, and then he launches them into, to participate in the very things that he's been doing. So Jesus has been going from town to town, preaching the kingdom, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he's casting out demons, he's healing the sick, he's doing all the stuff that, that God's kingdom came to bring through the person of Jesus. But then he sent his church, his followers, his disciples to do the same stuff. And he sent, starting with the 12, he sent them out. Now let's jump ahead a little bit. Verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. You can read the verses in between and how they had experienced the, the, the hand of God at work. So they come back and they tell him this, and Jesus says, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For, going and, for, for they were many, they were many coming and going, the, the crowd was still there, and they didn't even have time to eat, so they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. I've got four points. I'm going to do this a little bit different than I normally do, but the first one I'm going to give you now, and then I'm going to save the rest for the very end. And, and I will go through those quickly, but I want you to catch this because as I was praying for this year, God gave me two words. The first one was, was restoration, and the second one was multiplication. And what we're about to see in this next story is what happens after uh, they, they have a moment of restoration. The, the disciples come back after preaching the, the gospel, after seeing the sick healed, after seeing, doing the works, 
and then they come back to Jesus, and, and Jesus was not in a hurry, ever. Like, you never see Jesus be in a rush. You never see Jesus get worried. You never see him, uh, a couple weeks ago, I preached about him being asleep in the boat. Remember the peace of Jesus? You know, he's, he's totally at rest, and he was never in a hurry. In fact, anytime people tried to add their agenda to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, could you do it this way in my time? He was never in a rush, including when it was his own family. And over and over, he was very clear about what was important, and he stuck to what was important. I think if, if we're not careful, some of us are in a moment of stagnation because we've been pulled in too many directions instead of in the very things that are most important. And as we start this year, I want to challenge you, and I, I mentioned this briefly a couple weeks ago, that, uh, and this isn't for everybody, but I, I wrote down a, a, a list of things I want to start doing in the new year. But I also wrote something I've never done before. I wrote a list of things I wanted to stop doing. Because if, if I'm going to do something, that if I'm going to add something, something else has to be removed. Something else that's less important has to be. And, and Jesus tells his disciples as they come, let's come aside. I know there's a crowd and there's a need and there's still an urgency, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to get alone. And as we start this new year, I want to challenge you, maybe even to use this 21 days as a time to establish a space in your own life that you prioritize the presence of Jesus, that you, that you make room for the first things, that you make room for, for the, the most important relationship in your life, that you make room for God to speak into, to grow your faith, to stretch your faith, to invest into your heart, to transform your heart. The first thing, number one, if you're taking notes, is we need to recover. We need to recover through Christ-centered rest. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a doer. I'm, I'm like, rest is not easy. And, and for some of us, it's, it's, it's the one commandment we're okay with breaking. Have you got the Ten Commandments? Like, we got, you know, I know I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't, you know, murder anybody. Like, none of those things. But you know, God put rest on the Sabbath and keep it holy in the top 10. Like, it's in the big 10. That God would include in that list, and the same list as, as not coveting and, and, and all of that, not stealing, he, he, and, and not having any other gods before him. He says, oh, by the way, just like I rested on the seventh day, you rest. And rest is not about ceasing activity, it's about the right activity. It's not just about inactivity, and there are seasons where, man, we just need to physically, some of us are angry and we're difficult to be around just because we haven't taken a nap. Okay, I'm going to give you Bible, because some of you think naps are not spiritual. Jeremiah 31, I mean, I told you last time, Jesus was asleep in the boat, so Jesus took naps too. Jeremiah 31, some of you are going to use this verse, and you're going to say, I am taking a nap today in Jesus' name. Okay. He says, for I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. After this I awoke, Jeremiah said this, after this I awoke and looked around, and my, my sleep was sweet to me. God refreshed him. He gave him rest. There's something about rest that restores your soul. Psalm 23, the psalmist wrote this. He said, Lord, you restore my soul. We need to be restored 
in our soul, if we're going to have the relationships we need to have, if we're going to do the things that God's created us to do in 2023, and I want to speak to that in just a moment. We talk about multiplication, but before we can get there, we need to be able to get alone with Jesus. I, can, I, I know a lot of us are busy, and we think, I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to study. I'm too busy for those things. And, and, I, and I get it. If you've got small kids, sometimes it's hard to just have five seconds of quiet in the house. I used to, when my kids were really little, we lived in a small apartment back in Arizona. And, and the only option I had was after they finally would fall asleep, we'd like just have five minutes of quiet time. And I would go leave the apartment and I'd go walk around in the dark. At, we had a park across the street from our apartment. And so I'd go walk around in the dark because that was the only place that was quiet. And, and it was good until the police stopped me. So, somebody called and said, hey, there's a, there's a strange person walking around, you know, probably waving their hands and, and <laughs> praying the spirit. Um, when, when the officer pulled me aside, he said, hey, I, I've gotten a call that somebody out here, a suspicious person's walking around. I said, I'll let you know when I find him. <laughs> But sometimes you just got to get alone, and you've got to get alone with Jesus. You've got to get alone with God and, and set aside a space in your life to listen. And you know, some of you are going to find this. So I don't know if you've ever done this on your phone. I, I, I've got an iPhone and it's got an airplane mode in it. I think most planes or most phones have an airplane mode where you can disable all communication, all input. Uh, it, it, it cuts off Wi-Fi. It cuts off network settings, all of that. You can't get phone calls. But then after you've had that disconnected for a little bit and then you turn it back on, maybe you took a flight and, and you get inundated. You ever get inundated? Like there's a backlog of messages. And it just floods your phone. And for some of us, this next 21 days is going to be like that spiritually. You're going to start setting aside time for God to pray, and it's going to be like an open heaven, a flood of, of, of encouragement, of promise, of God's words, of, of, and it's just going to come just like airplane mode got shut off. Why? Was it that God wasn't willing to speak to you before? No, of course not. It's just that the moment we reconnect, the moment we make space for God, God floods our life with his promise. And, and so, so as we set that time aside, to honor him, I believe we're going to see great things take place. Jesus said this, Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The key there is who we come to. It's not about inactivity. It's about the right activity. I, I don't have time not to pray. And you know what I found is that when I start my day with Jesus, I have grace for things that I didn't have time for before. I, I have space that, that, I know it's the same 24 hours, I know it's the same amount of time, but it's like God takes the, as I give him the first 10% of my day, God, God blesses the rest of the 90 <laughs> and enables me to have better time with people, be more effective, see God at work, come to me, Jesus said, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, you will find rest for your souls. Some of us need practical rest. We need practical sleep. We need practical time to disconnect. But I want to encourage you that no matter what, you schedule time, you prioritize time to be alone with Jesus. Make this the time as we start this new year that you set aside time every day to draw close to Jesus. Come to me. If you're hurting, 
Jesus says, come to me. If you're lost, come to me. If you're empty and tired, come to me. If you're busy, come to me. And, and what he gives us isn't ill-fitting. He's not gonna make us like, don't get discouraged. You know, I used to think, I, I heard about years ago, I think it was Smith Wigglesworth who would get up at four in the morning every day. And so I heard that, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do that. That lasted about all of 10 seconds. Because I don't know, you know, maybe it's because Smith Wilkersworth didn't have a snooze button, but that thing is dangerous. But, but, but whatever it is, don't, don't get discouraged because you can't do what somebody else does, but you, in your own life, make room for God, and I guarantee you God's going to begin to meet you. Here's what the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 8. If you get no other verse, get this verse. James 4, 8, draw near to God. This is one of the greatest promises, I think, in the Bible. Draw near to God, and he will, not might, not could do it, he will draw near to you. Does that mean every time you're praying, it's going to be like the Red Seas are parted? No. But as you're sowing into your relationship with God, you will reap. As you're, as you're taking time to be alone with God, as you're growing close to God, whatever that is and however God leads you, I want to challenge you to draw near to God. The disciples, as they spent that time alone with Jesus, something then happened. He began to turn from that boat. And he began to preach to the crowd. And the crowd included thousands of people. And, and as the day went long, they became hungry. And you know the story. In verse 33, it says, The multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and buy for themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Jesus turns to his disciples as they say, you know, let, cut the crowd loose, let them go get some food, and Jesus turns to them. And you know the story, many of you, that Jesus turns to them, and this is the thing that's challenging to me, is that Jesus doesn't just do the miracle. If you know the story, the end result is Jesus is going to feed thousands of people. They, they come to him and they say, all we have are five loaves and two fish. That's it. Trying to convince Jesus that it's not enough. And I don't know, maybe, maybe this year God's going to call you to do some things that you look at what you have and what, what, what your gifts are and, and what your personality's like and what your relationships are and what your history's been and you think, I don't have what it takes. Oh, but you don't understand, a little in the hands of Jesus is more than enough. Five loaves and two fish fed a multitude. But it didn't just happen through the hands of Jesus. And this is what I want to challenge us with today. It happened in the hands of the disciples. They brought him five loaves and they brought him two fish and Jesus blessed it and he broke it and he took it from his hands and he gave it to his disciples and then the disciples took it and they passed it out. The miracle, I believe, happened as they began to distribute what Jesus delivered. And if we serve a God who brings restoration, and I believe Jesus is in the restoration business, I don't know what you need restored. One of the great promises in the book of Joel, we won't look at it today, I didn't have it in my notes, is that, that, that he says, I'm gonna restore to you the years that the locusts have stolen. I'm gonna restore to you the years. God can restore in a moment what took a lifetime to lose, to mess up, 
to deteriorate and destroy. Jesus is in the restoration business. I can't wait to see in this year the people's lives who are going to be transformed, saved, healed, redeemed. The marriages are going to be put back together. The people's future and hope that's going to be restored. The prodigals that are going to come back home. I can't wait to see that. Because God is in the restoration business. But you know how he does it. He also does it through his people. Through their prayers. Multiplication happens when we take what we've been given and we distribute what we've been delivered. What God has placed in our life. And and, and this is a message for the church. This is a message for the church. If you're a guest here today, we're honored to have you here. And I believe this is for you too. But this is specifically a message for the church. Because I knew all the heathens would sleep in today. I'm kidding. Don't take that out of the podcast. But, but here's what I know, that, that, that Jesus did a miracle in feeding multitudes, thousands of people, and he did it with very little. But it was very little placed in the hands of his disciples, his followers. What has God placed in your hands and mine? What has is, what is he placed in your life? What gifts has he placed? What opportunities? What people has he placed in your life that God is looking to impact and change their life forever through a word that he's going to place in your life? Through an encouragement. You think, well, I don't know a lot of Bible. I don't know a lot of verses. That's okay. You just follow Jesus and let God in the moment give you the encouragement. There's lots of people that are hurting right now that just need hope. They don't need a theological dissertation right now. They need Jesus displayed through you. They need your prayers. They need your encouragement. They need your hope. They need you to carry peace when the world, and I'm just going to tell you, the shaking in the world isn't going to stop anytime soon. But you can have peace because your foundation is solid. And it doesn't come from this world. It's not based on this world. It's based on a kingdom that cannot be shaken. One last verse, Acts chapter 16, that I, I promised I'd give you three last points. And I won't preach those very long, but I want, they're going to sum up, and I believe set us on the course to break free from stagnation in our life. Acts chapter 6, if you fast forward, this is after the resurrection, the church has started. And the church, every day, people are being added, people are being saved. I don't want us to ever, if I could just give my heart as a pastor, I don't want us to ever get used to people coming to Jesus here. Like ever. Like I just don't want that to ever happen. I think the day we get, we get used to it or, or we even begin to resent it, because here's what I know, church people can resent somebody taking their seat. <laughs> and, and, and there's going to be some people that might sit next to you that, that, that look different and sound different and smell different. And, and, and there may be some things that, that, that you would normally, they wouldn't be the people you'd hang around, but they're people that God wants to, wants to invade and wants to step into their life and do the same thing in them that he did in you. And every day, people are being added to the church. But then they get to the point where it's getting a little bit crowded and a little bit difficult, and, and there's some problems, because mo people, mo... Okay, I, couple of you got it. Okay. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, last passage I want to read, and here's, here's what I love. This can give us a focus and, and a prayer point today. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, what started with 12 turned to 120 and now is thousands. 
there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. As needs were being met in the church, there just wasn't, there, there, there were still people that were getting missed. And so uh, practically there, were, there, were, there was administration that had to happen. Verse two, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve these tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and the Holy Spirit, at least the rest of these seven. Verse six, then when they had set them before the apostles, they prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God, listen to this, the word of God spread. And the number of disciples multiplied now greatly in Jerusalem. Prior to this, there's addition. And then you see at the beginning of this chapter, it's beginning to multiply, it's beginning to grow, but now it's multiplying greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, they were the hard cases, by the way. They were the religious crowd. Even the hard cases came to Jesus. And Stephen now, who's serving, who's using his gifts, who's, who's, who's making a difference, did great wonders and signs among the people. Three things happened here that I want us to point to and, and look at, and I'm going to ask Jason to get ready. So the first thing I told you is we need to recover. We recover by Christ-centered rest. The second thing is we need to recognize. We need to recognize what needs to change. At the start of this chapter, the disciples recognized there was a problem that they could not solve all on their own. And so they invited others to be a part of it, others to be a part of a solution. And so they recognized there was a need. And then as they did that, someone stepped in to fill that need. So we've got to recognize as we evaluate, I think it's important. You know, I think it's John Maxwell who said, uh, experience is not the best teacher, but it's evaluated experience that's the best teacher. Otherwise, just by living life, you would always, by default, get wiser. And we know that life brings experience, and sometimes that does bring wisdom. But it most often happens when we evaluate what's working, what's not working. And, and I think a lot of people, the reason why 92% of New Year's resolutions fail is because they're based on intentions, but there's no action behind it. There's no plan. There's no evaluation. And if we start this year, we're giving you a plan. Take the next 21 days and however God leads you to begin to put into place a time or grow your existing time in prayer with Jesus and set the most important things first. In fact, that's the next point. Number three is we need to refocus. The disciples, the leaders in the church, the, the followers, uh, they, they, the first followers of Jesus are now leading the church. And then they, here's what they tell the, the rest of the, the believers. They say, we need your help. Because there's two things we've got to focus on. At the establishment of the church, they had to have two priorities, and I don't think we've ever outgrown those two priorities. Prayer and the ministry of the word. If you want to grow your faith, if you want to grow your life spiritually, start with and keep those two things at work. Prayer and the ministry of the word. We need to refocus on what matters most. I don't have to ask you if there's distractions around you. I don't have to ask you if there's busyness and things are, are capturing your attention. I mean, let me just get real practical. 
I figured out how to disable apps on my phone where now all I can do is see it for 10 minutes and then it turns off. It's great. Because I, you know, social media is great until it isn't. And I've learned there's some things that are good, but they're not necessary. And I want to focus on the things that matter most. No one ever got to the end of their life and said, man, if I just had watched season seven. <laughs> if, if I had just gotten that deal. If I just had one more of those. But there is something that people do think about. Say, I wish I had more time to do what mattered most. To be with those that mattered most. And what if at the start of this year we said, I'm going to refocus on the things that matter most in my life, in my faith. You know, sometimes refocus looks like saying no to some things. I've said no to more things in the last 90 days than I've ever said no to. But it's not because I'm trying to say no, it's because I need to say yes to much more important things. And I think in our lives, we need to be equipped and empowered to say yes to the right things. Number four is they reproduced. They reproduced in others. And and this is important because God calls us and not just the pastors, not just their staff. He calls the church to be disciples that make disciples. And your faith may be what's kept you stagnant. I think this is one of the most common things that keeps us stagnant. When we get to a place where we have received more than we've poured out. Where we get to a place where we're no longer sharing our faith with others. We're no longer praying for others. And maybe this year, that's the thing that needs to, I I can tell you, I've never met a person who shares their faith with others that isn't on fire for Jesus. I've never met a, not, not a one. But I've met lots of people that are stagnant, that have stopped pouring out. You know, God's put gifts in your life that others need. God's put something inside of your life that's meant to reproduce in others so that they can grow too. That's what Jesus modeled, it's what he did. Do you know the task is bigger than all of us? I shared this with our staff from this chapter a couple weeks ago. Because I believe that God's calling us to a season to multiply. And that's going to mean that there's, you know, we've got an amazing dream team. We have over 70 people who serve every month here at River City Church. 70 people. They're serving Jesus, using their gifts, making a difference. But I believe that the task is bigger than even what we can do right now. Do you know that the church has been given the most important message that human ears will ever hear? The capital C Church in the world today has the message that is the only message that that all eternity hinges on. And you've been given that. We're carriers of a gospel that can change and transform any life. Your prayers move heaven and earth. Let's not let stagnation keep us from moving forward and advancing. Can I pray for you? If you would stand to your feet. I'm going to challenge you. It's a little bit different today. 
But I, I believe that God has an assignment for this year. He's got a purpose for this year. He's got a purpose for you, for your life. And, and maybe what you need is you need to see your family restored. You want to see your spouse, your kids, your home restored to the purpose of God. God can do it. Let's, let's pray heaven down until we see our whole family transformed, set free, our kids whole. Let's, 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 not, let's not settle for what religion has to offer. <laughs> what if we believe for an entire generation to be saved? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a little bit crazy. I think, I think Jesus wants to do the greatest thing he's ever done in our nation still today. I think we're positioned for the greatest revival we've ever seen in our lifetime and in church history. But you know how he's going to do it? You know how he's going to feed the 5,000? Jesus is going to be the source, but he's delivered something to your hands. And it takes a yes. I'm asking you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. And if you're in here and you say, I need, I need restoration. I need recovery. I need new strength. I need grace for this season. 2022 took more than it gave. And I need God's grace. If that's you, very simply, just lift your hands to God. Because I believe today God wants to begin to pour in His grace to heal, to restore, to set free. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are the God of all comfort, the God of all grace. And Lord, you know what was taken, what was lost, what was depleted, what was emptied out. And I pray for restoration, for recovery. David, King David, before he was king, had everything taken just days before he was crowned. Everything seemed to be lost, but the word of the Lord to him was pursue and recover all. And I just believe for that today, for your life, your family, your future, that you're going to pursue the purpose of God and you will recover all in the name of Jesus. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.